three chapters. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you brought lunch, but we're having a break at morning tea time. <laughs> Here we go. You ever heard of Murphy's Law? If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. If it means if you wash your car today, then it's going to rain tomorrow. If you go and ride your bike, you'll end up getting what? Flat tyre. We live in a Murphy's Law word, don't we? There is a whole list, you can Google them and look them up. There's about 27 or 30 Murphy's Laws of people who have written very witty things. And the last one says, Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> things have a tendency to go bad, don't they? Well, in this passage for us, I think we could have another one, Joseph's Law. As followers of the Lord Jesus, if something in this world can go wrong, and if it does, or when it does go wrong, then God is behind it. That's Joseph's law. Murphy's law looks at the horizontal plane and looks at this world only. It's like the book of Ecclesiastes, life under the sun. Joseph's law takes the vertical look and says that while things do fall apart or bad things happen or sad things happen in this life and in this world, nonetheless, God is behind it. God is in the throne. So we need to have a vertical look at all these things. Joseph has been working, I think God led, on his brothers, testing them to see if they've changed over the 20, 22 years since he last saw them and since they mistreated him. For the last, 22, uh, for the last uh, year or so, he's been testing them. Um, was their love real? Are they being sincere? Uh, are they still jealous? Do they really love their father and do they care about him? In these three chapters this morning, 45, 46, and 47 of the book of Genesis, they can be summarised as, and we'll spend most time in 45, pardon, that Joseph gets to the point of disclosing who he is and there is reconciliation between him and his estranged brothers, pardon. Then there is preservation where the family is preserved and Pharaoh kicks in and blesses them. And then 47 is Jacob and the family coming down to Egypt and the whole family down there prospering. Interestingly, in the providence of God, they come to Egypt where they are abundantly blessed, but they don't know their future, and they're headed for affliction. Generations from now, they will be enslaved. But that's in God's purposes, and he's going to build them into a nation. They'll experience suffering, they'll call out to God, and they'll experience his marvellous deliverance, as well as experience the demonstration of his power and his miracles through the plagues and judgments on Egypt. God is working his purposes out. We need the vertical look. And God still uses trials and tests today for us to reveal our hearts to us as well as to others. So the book of Genesis, the story has moved from the brothers being fearful to last or a couple of weeks ago, having a feast in Joseph's own house, to then last week, Joseph setting them up with the, gold, with the goblets in Benjamin's sack. And behind all of that is the awareness that God did it. God is allowing these sorts of choices. God is directing things. It would have been certainly easy for the brothers to simply say, let Ben be arrested. He got the cup in his sack, so let's save ourselves. That's what they did before. But that's when Judah marvellously steps forward, doesn't he? And last week, Charlie would have emphasised that for you. He confesses to Joseph. He admits guilt. He acknowledges his love for the father. In fact, he mentions my father or our father 15 times 
in that confession. It's a lot of times. And he accepted the fact that Benjamin was indeed the favourite. That sort of indicates also that they had matured, that they had forgiven their father for his very immature treatment of Joseph and now of Benjamin, of treating them as favourites. Well, they had matured to the point of accepting that. That's just the old man and that's how he is and, and that's okay. We understand the reasons for it. And imagine these guys. Then Joseph couldn't bear it any longer, so this is where the story is up to. <clears throat> uh, Judah has just confessed all of those things. Joseph couldn't control himself any longer, so he asked everybody in the room to leave, all of the Egyptians, and the only people left are his brothers and himself. What do you think they're thinking? This is it. He's going to do us in. They don't know who he is yet. He hasn't revealed who he is. Verse 2, and then Joseph bursts into tears. The brothers are standing there. What are they going to do? They're trembling. They think this guy is, the, well, he is the chief leader in uh, Egypt. He has all the power and all the authority. He could quite easily have sent them to prison. He could have ordered their execution. He could have done all of that. He suddenly bursts into tears, and I guess they're going, I don't know what to do. Um, are these tears of frustration or whatever else? And it was so loud, this wail, all this pent-up emotion. The slaves heard it, the workers heard it outside, and even Pharaoh heard it in his palace, or at least he heard about it. So it was passed on. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. You're the one that we threw in the pit. You're the one that we sold to Egypt. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Because Judah's just mentioned my father 15 times. His brothers were not able to answer him. They're on mute. Um, uh, uh, <clears throat> and they were terrified, trembling. You're Joseph. Then Joseph, come close to me. I bet he didn't say it like that. But they're sort of thinking, oh my goodness. And then he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Oh, bother, he remembers. And now he says to them, he called them closer to him because he wanted to comfort them. And him calling them closer, their anxiety just went up. Their blood pressure's increased. They've got sweaty palms, dry mouth. They're very, very nervous. They're trembling. So he says to them, don't be distressed or be angry with yourselves by selling me, for selling me here. Why? The vertical look. So God sent me here ahead of you. God did it. God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on the earth, to save your lives and a great deliverance. <clears throat> so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of this entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Four times he says, God is behind this. I had to go through inappropriate bad behaviour Bad things happened to me. God allowed it. God used it. God is the master chess player. God says, I'm going to play a game of chess with you and I'm going to capture your king. God makes the first move, you make a move. Depending on what your move is, will help God then respond to what his move is. He has a master plan, he's the master chess player. Doesn't matter what move you make, God can respond to it. 
and that he can, Romans 8.28, be at work in all things to achieve good purposes out of it. That's exactly what he's doing. Then Joseph says to his brothers, having been reconciled with them, he sort of says to them, now let's hurry back to dad and tell him this. This is what Joseph says. God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me without delay. In verses 10 to 13 of chapter 45, we have them, uh, Joseph giving them instructions about when you come back, you'll live in the land of Goshen. Everybody, wife, kids, grandkids, I'll provide for you there, all of the families, um, and bring everything because you're coming here to stay for quite a while. Then they threw his arms around his, uh, he threw his arms around Benjamin, wept, Benjamin embraced him, wept. They kissed each other, brothers, and notice this. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. It's interesting. They spent some time catching up. Remember, way back in the beginning of the story in chapter 37, it's verse 4. His brothers were so angry with him, they could not even speak to him. Remember that? They couldn't even say shalom to him. But here they are now, talking. There has been a change. God has worked his purposes out. Certainly it's taken decades, but their hearts have changed. And Jacob, Joseph has been testing that and now evaluating it. And after he has discerned that they have genuinely changed, that they have repented, which is what Judah had said in the previous chapter, then there is reconciliation. Here is the truth for today. Forgiveness precedes reconciliation. Forgiveness precedes reconciliation. God forgives us, and that is before we repent, and then there is reconciliation. We'll come back to that. When Joseph um, then goes and tells uh, Pharaoh that his brothers are back, and then Pharaoh, remarkably, because he's obviously very impressed with Joseph, you know, Joseph's been doing a great job, so Pharaoh says, take some carts and take some extra donkeys and go back, use the carts to help the family to transport back down here. Just to say an aside, the carts back at that time were the uh, top of the line of technology in that, time, in that age because the wheel was in Egypt. It was in Egypt before it was in any other nation around the world. They had their chariots and their wagons. And now Joseph is providing this top-line Tesla cars to give to them to bring the family back. They're coming back in style. So the brothers head off. They get up there when they journey on the way. Um, He sent his brothers away as they were leaving. He said, "Don't, don't quarrel on the way. He knows them, doesn't he? Don't bicker, don't fight, don't blame one another. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They've arrived home. They told him, Joseph is still alive. He's the ruler of Egypt. Jacob, well, this says Jacob was stunned. Literally, his heart was, well, it could be numb, or his heart was still. He doesn't believe him. They've told him stories before. But then they went on to explain, Joseph said this, and they quote Joseph. And then he saw the carts and the wagons and the donkeys and all the extra stuff that had been sent and the clothes and everything else. And it's what he heard and what he saw, the evidence then convinced, convinced him. And he says, Jacob, uh, Joseph is alive, I will go to him. 
which is interesting because just to point out something, Jacob was the one who was drawing the conclusion, I will go down to the grave in sorrow. I will never see Joseph again. We don't know the future. And sometimes we should just be silent because Jacob got it entirely wrong. He's not going down to the grave in sorrow. He's going down to Egypt in great joy as God works his purposes out. God takes time. God plays the long game. So in Israel, that's Jacob, set out with all that was with him. And when he reached Beersheba, which is a significant place, it's the most southern place. By the time you leave the land of Canaan, Beersheba is the last point of call. Was it Beersheba where Abraham built an altar? Was it Beersheba where Isaac uh, sacrificed and where God appeared to him and told Isaac, don't you go to Egypt. Don't leave the land that I've given you, Canaan. I'll look after you here. So when Jacob comes to Beersheba, which is the point where he had a vision of God before he fled north to Haran. So it's a significant place in his spiritual journey. He gets there and he sacrifices to God, basically saying, God, what's your will? I realise I'm leaving the land. Abraham wasn't supposed to. Isaac didn't, but he was going to. And now I am. Should I be doing this? And God marvellously, wonderfully comes to him, spoke to him in a vision. God speaks to some people. Certainly God speaks to Jacob. Here, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. And then God says to him, I am God, the God of your fathers. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Four promises, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you. I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own eyes will close, Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. What's he saying there? Well, you've seen the movies. When a person dies, their eyes are often left open, aren't they? And then they close them. Well, that's what God is saying to Jacob. You'll see Joseph, and he will be there for you at the end. Jacob is 130 years of age at this point, and he will live another 170 years. God is assuring him, I'll make you into a great nation. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this circumstance in your life. Good's going to come out of it. Don't be afraid. I'm going to go with you. And if I'm with you, then that's the best situation you can have in life, to have God with you. Don't be afraid. I'll bring you up again. I will keep my word and my promises and my covenant. And don't be afraid because you're going to see Joseph again. All things work together for good to those who love God. The vertical dimension. If God works the long game, as he has been here, then what do we need to do? Be patient. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. And when you are, confess it and come back to God and patiently wait for him to work his purposes out. Submit to him and to his will and what's going on in your life and trust him. Can't find a new intentional interim senior pastor? Be patient. Submit. Trust. Need to look for a new associate? Who are we going to get? Be patient. Submit. Trust. God's plans for us as a church are good plans. This is his church. And we may get frustrated. We may get scared. We may get worried. Hand it over to him. He's working stuff out. So then Jacob left to Beersheba, his son, Israel's sons took him and all of the kids and the grandkids and everything else in the carts, the high technology, they went down there. Jacob and his offspring, they took their livestock and their possessions. 
interestingly, when, Joseph, when Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers to go back and tell Jacob to come, don't worry about anything. Leave all your possessions up there and just come. We've got everything down here and you can start again. Joseph says, uh-uh. He's a discerning young man, this guy. He's 39 years of age. Slight pause has been brought to you by my grandson. What was I saying? <laughs> Pharaoh said, leave everything. And Joseph said, bring everything. Pharaoh is saying, when you come down here, completely assimilate. Become Egyptian. Joseph is saying, when you come down here, maintain your identity. Be God's people, God's covenant people. Even in the midst of the world you live in, be distinct, be separate. Yeah. Jacob brought with him Egypt, his sons his, and his daughters. We never read about his daughters, except one daughter, Dinah, but there are daughters, plural, and granddaughters. It's a big family. Uh, and you can read a list of the names in verses 8 to 26. If you're pregnant and expecting a child, there is a list of options there for you to work your way through. Uh, I don't think I've dedicated too many babies with those particular names. But there is a list. It's a list of 66 people who go down. And then it said, uh, but there are 70 all up. There is a bit of an issue with that in terms of uh, how many exactly when. It depends on how you count it and so on. And I still haven't got my name around it. But everybody went. That's the point. And then when they get down there, Jacob and Joseph meet up. Joseph puts on his best clothes, gets in his Egyptian chariot, drives up. He turns up, you know, in full dress coat partly out of respect to his aged father, not showing off, just trying to demonstrate to dad what God has done. So they hug and embrace for quite some time and then Joseph does some coaching. Listen, I'm going to take five of you. We're going to go and appear before Pharaoh. When Pharaoh asks you the question, what's your job? Tell him you're shepherds, that you've been shepherds all your life and that your fathers were shepherds before you. And then he will say to you, we can live in the land of Goshen. And you can even ask for that. He coaches them on what to say and what to do. And it works marvellously. Um, because when he does get down there, Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father, my brothers and their flocks and herds and everything else have come. And they're right now in the land of Goshen. Goshen, as the River Nile on the map it goes up, but obviously middle of Africa to the Mediterranean. When it gets to the Mediterranean, it fans out into a delta. And Goshen is on the northeast side of that. It's a very lush, very fertile area. It's a great area, particularly for farmers, shepherds and herdsmen and so on. And that's where Joseph has put them. It's also where the Egyptians want to put them because they don't want anything to do with shepherds. Shepherds are an abomination. So then um, Joseph takes his five brothers in chapter 47 and they appear before Pharaoh and just like he anticipated, Pharaoh says, and what's your occupation? Uh, we are shepherds and we've been shepherds all our life as have our fathers and so we would like to, and they request, we would like to live in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh says, diplomatic response, when they said we have been shepherds, he would have gone, ew. The whole of the land is before you. Settle in the best of the land. You may dwell in Goshen, 
if you know any skilled or competent person amongst you, then he put him in charge over my flocks. Pharaoh's being very diplomatic. He's quite happy that they're going to Goshen. That's separated from the Egyptians. But he does offer them a royal job. If any of you are really competent shepherds, then you can also be in charge of the royal flocks that I have. The five brothers leave, you know, bowing, remember, seven times, forwards and backwards. And then in comes Jacob. Jacob is 130. I suspect, the text doesn't say, but I imagine Jacob is coming in on the arm of Joseph. And they're not bowing seven times to come before Pharaoh. Because Jacob's got his walker, you know. Then something remarkable happens that you may miss as you read it through. And then Jacob blesses Pharaoh. The superior blesses the lower. Jacob takes the initiative to bless Pharaoh. What's Pharaoh's response? How old are you? That's a remarkable thing. That could have been very insulting. But this is Joseph's dad. Joseph is favourite number one. Pharaohs want to upset Joseph in any way at all. How old are you? Jacob's answer is worth meditating on. It's worth a whole sermon, but I don't have time. Jacob says to him, the years of my pilgrimage, pilgrimage, my time on earth is limited. I'm aware of that. The years of my pilgrimage have been 130 years and they have been uh, few and difficult. Uh, few compared to my father's. That's true. Abraham was 175, Isaac was 180, Terah, his grandfather, was 205. He's only 130. Just a young whippersnapper. The years of my pilgrimage have been 130 years, and you know, few and difficult they have been. And then he blesses Pharaoh again. And then in the passage goes on, you'll see how. Jacob's blessing on Pharaoh is going to work its way out, this second audience. God using Jacob in the courts of Pharaoh to have an impact. Who knows what happens spiritually? We're not told. The second audience, that's that one, Jacob. This is the way it worked out in blessing. The famine is terrible. The people come to Joseph and they say, we have now given you all of our money to buy... um, grain from you. We don't have any money left. Now we can only offer you our livestock. So Jacob, Joseph says, okay, give me your sheep and your cattle. And he takes that to give them grain. The next year they come back and they say, we don't have any money. We don't have any livestock. You've got it all. That's now owned by Pharaoh. All we have is our land, our farms and our bodies. To which Joseph says, okay, I'll take your land and I'll take your labour. You can sell yourself as a slave to me in the land of Egypt. And that's what happens. And then as the famine draws to an end, Joseph then gives them grain. He says, now go and sow that. But from now on, every year that you have a crop, 20% of the crop goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was blessed through Joseph and through the blessing of Jacob. God working his purposes out. God is no man's data. Forgiveness precedes reconciliation. That's what this is all about. Joseph had forgiven them. This is, let me take a couple of minutes, and I only have a couple of minutes. 
When you get hurt or offended by somebody, and Joseph was certainly hurt and offended by his brothers, wasn't he? And mistreated, and bad things unfolded. In his heart over the years, forgiveness is both internal and external. Internally, when somebody hurts you, before they have apologised, repented or changed, you have to forgive them in here, internally. Forgiveness precedes reconciliation. You have to forgive them and not, hold, not go around talking about all the bad things they did and how they hurt you, not parading their sin before others and running them down. You have to come to the point of forgiving them. But they did wrong, and that's still got to be put right. Yeah, that's true. But it begins with forgiveness, your forgiveness. And then that forgiveness is extended to them externally when they repent. Does that make sense? God forgives us in Jesus, in Christ, before we repent. We are forgiven. Then when we repent, then forgiveness is extended to us. We receive it. So too in our human relationships. That's why I think this story is in the scriptures. Forgiveness precedes, I should say, perhaps say results. Because there's not always reconciliation. But when you extend forgiveness internally, you will find that it's no longer eating you up. But you have a responsibility to hold the person accountable for the thing that they had done wrong. Just like Joseph was doing with his brothers. He was testing them. Have you changed? Have you confessed? And when they confessed, then he extends forgiveness externally. There are three R words in this whole process about extending forgiveness and stuff. And Judah does it, the brothers do it, and so we need to do it. Firstly, there is responsibility. You have to take responsibility for the things that you did, you said, that were wrong, that were hurt or offensive to somebody else. Own up to it yourself. Then number two, repent. You change your mind about it, that was wrong, I won't do that again. And then you go to the person and you tell them exactly that. And that's what leads to the results, often to reconciliation. But if not to reconciliation, at least to peace in your own heart. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We have forgiven them, but they are not forgiven until they repent. I've forgiven them in here, but the relationship is not restored until there is repentance. Then there is reconciliation after repentance. Take responsibility, repentance, and then there are results. My suggestion to you is that you need to file away in your mind somewhere a mental file. That sometimes God allows things in our life and we haven't got a clue why, because God plays the long game. And we can't see the extent of it all. And so you need a mental file that just simply says, I'm waiting for more information. What's God doing? I don't know. I'm waiting for more information. This happens to me. God, where are you in this? Pastor Charlie says that God is calling them out and you might very well be saying, well, where is God in this? Well, waiting for more information. And as you get more information, then you can rest in that God is the one who is on the throne and that God is in control. It's because we don't know certain things at certain times that we get agitated and anxious. Well, I'm suggesting to you to take a chill pill and, Lord, in your time, I'm trusting you, but waiting for more information. If God plays the long game, what do you do? Be patient. 
submit to him, trust him. Joseph's law. It's not just the horizontal, it's the vertical. God is involved in our lives and in our world and he's working his purposes out. Have you ever seen a chess player? Stephen Safferty from CMI Ministries did this once. He won, he's a master chess player, chess master. He played nine people. And I can't remember if he did this or if somebody, I've seen others do it on YouTube. The chess master is blindfolded. So he can't even see the moves. He has to remember the moves. He remembers what he moves, remembers what you moved. It's incredible, isn't it? They go from game to game to game around the board and they win. God is the master chess player. You take a move, he's got to move. You move this and God goes, well, he'll do that. But it might take several moves before this gets righted. And God is playing chess if you like, but he's not blindfolded. But he's playing eight billion tables at once. You're free to make your choices and you're responsible for the choices you make and that God will make his responses and he will achieve his purposes. He is in control. How does he do that? I haven't got a clue. But I know he can do it. I know he does it. And so therefore I am very confident I can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for the wonderful change in the brothers and their reconciliation. And thank you, Lord, for the truths. Help us to adopt the Joseph's law, the vertical mindset, and not just to see life on the horizontal plane. You're incredible, Lord, the way that you can work your sovereign purposes out, how you give us freedom to make choices, and that you love us and you journey with us, Um, So, Lord, in the days of this week, help us to be a blessing wherever we go and with whoever we contact. Use us as your chosen instruments to spread your truth and your love to others. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.